Welcome back to the Perth Business Podcast. If you're a returning visitor, hello again. And if you're new, welcome. I'm Taryn, your host, and I speak to the innovators, creatives, and thought leaders in Perth in order to help you build your business better. Whether you're starting something new or you're trying to get through a challenge or grow, someone's definitely been there and done it before. So grab your cup of coffee, settle in, and let's get started. This is a Kraken um, black spice rum and cola um, because you told me that you love a spice rum and you were like, more strangely, the... I actually don't know how to open these. Are they like a... Oh, there we go. There we go. She's in. She's in. Um, Because you had buttery Chardonnay... Was it spicy margarita or just like I a think crisp? I said, yeah, a crisp, a crisp, crisp marg. fresh margs. Yeah, yeah marg, and I yeah. was like, yeah, I love a margs, <laughs> um, but the glasses here are like mugs, Thank so you. they are not very conducive to a marg. Um, as much as I love to make a cocktail, I'm yeah. not a, I'm not really one to like shake it up in front of like I don't know. A camera? I, I haven't actually had a um, spiced rum in a while, but definitely one of my favourites. So yeah. Is it you. a twist top or have I given you I a... No, I think it's a twist top. Okay, um, good. Okay. Oh, there you go. <gasps> it's not going to... Oh, no, no, no. I just heard it. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> just going to send it across. <laughs> Alrighty. Cheers. So, yes, very cheers to you. Cheers. Thank you for having me. Yes. Good <laughs> choice. Good choice. Um, thanks for coming down. Mm. My pleasure. Oh, it just hits the spot, doesn't I it? Know. Why? Why do you like them? What's your? Why is it a, like I a just vice? Like you like the taste? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just like it. Um, I guess it's different to normal rum. I like yeah. the fact that it has a bit of a cinnamon. Yeah, cinnamon cinnamon vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a little bit Christmassy, a little yeah. bit fun. Um, okay, I reckon let's just get stuck in. All right. So thanks for joining me down from. Your busy, busy work day. Uh, I feel like you would have. We've just been talking about how crazy the week has been yes. and like all the things we're working on. Yeah. Um, you're a UX specialist. So, what is your actual title? Uh, so, it's a dual role, mm-hmm. and I guess I can get into that and how that came to be. Mm-hmm. But it is a dual role between brand strategy and UX. Mm-hmm. So, between senior strategist, senior UX strategist. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wicked. Yeah. And how long have you been doing that? Um, so about four years. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. And you obviously enjoy like the user experience side of things, but we'll definitely get into that a little yeah. bit. Um, I think something that we usually start with that helps people understand you and like, you know, the opinion that you're sharing with us on the podcast is um, a little bit about your background. Mm. So are you from Perth? No, I'm not. So oh. I was I was born in South Africa. <gasps> Me too. Oh, really? Yeah. Whereabouts? Joburg. Oh, same. <laughs> <laughs> what? I know. Um, so we moved over, my family did, when I was only two and a half, mm. hence why there's no accent. Mm-hmm. I did have one up until about year one and yeah. then it disappeared. Um, but yeah, South African and also have a Portuguese background. So as you probably know, that's quite a common duo. Yeah. 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 All the Nando's in South Africa cannot be beat. Yes. Although um, my mom does a very delicious peri-peri chicken. Oh, yeah. yum. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's one thing I feel like we missed out on because my family doesn't love spice that much. Oh, I know. I know. That's a sin. <laughs> Devastating. Um, oh, that's wicked. So you've yeah. been here basically your whole life. In Perth? Yes. Yeah. In Perth. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. And what do you reckon of Perth? Like, would you move? Do you? Why do you like Perth? I, I wouldn't move at the moment. Mm-hmm. So uh, my husband and I got married about last year. Uh, oh, so recently! Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we're very much based in Perth yeah. um, for more, uh, I guess, career reasons. But generally speaking, I have obviously travelled to other places. I do think Perth has a hell of a lot to offer. Um, career-wise, I think, obviously, Mm -hmm. weather-wise, what you can do here, I think it's just somewhere where you have to maybe dig a little bit more to find those things. Yeah. 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 And how how did you go growing up, like, in terms of, did you have anyone in your family who was really into or had experience with not just UX, but, like, marketing in general? Not really. Uh, I would say my dad is very business minded. So when he uh, was in South Africa, he had a wine business. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, Aside from that, so I have three older sisters. They all have very different careers. So one of them is an accountant, one is a teacher and one is an architect. And you'll learn (laughs) in a second um, when I go through how I got to where I am now, I started... 
I suppose I started exploring what they had done yeah. to begin with. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, does that mean like you went into like doing degree levels exploring or yeah. more? Oh, okay. So <laughs> let's hear about this because I also did a lot of my schooling in Australia, but not in Perth. Mm. I did university like two and a half years of um, my uh, commerce degree in Perth. Mm. But um, it would have been interesting to explore the different like styles of learning here. And yeah. I feel like Perth is so chill for lack of a better word. It's mm-hmm. so relaxed, laid back, even compared to the Eastern States. So yeah, tell me about your journey. Um, so straight after high school, I guess it's so hard to know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a challenge that any high schooler would be facing right now. Not even high schooler, just any young person or I guess it doesn't even matter about age. It's like how you meant to know what you want to do in life, period. Yeah. So I guess what I did is uh, year 12 was absolutely crazy. You know, you try and do as many um, ATAR subjects as you can and you get to this stage where exams are over, you have to apply to something you don't know what. Yeah. Um, I knew I had a love for design. Oh, I knew. Yeah, I knew I also really liked the sciences mm-hmm. I know oh, that sounds quite odd <laughs> yeah so I feel like a lot of parts about my life now reflecting on it it's always been a duo yeah just talking about you know South African Portuguese um yeah. art science like there's this opposite yeah. kind of thing happening um so I put those pieces together and in my mind I thought architecture was a bit of a combination between the two right design and knowing measurements and construction and more of the hard if you want to call it science yeah side of things so um I started a degree I did a bachelor of design majoring in architecture so I finished that um and that I think as well probably came from the fact that my sister is an architect so I saw bits and pieces growing up um side note my sisters are all a lot older so I was a surprise so they were all <laughs> mom and dad yeah so they were all completely finished with their uh degrees by the time and you know well into their careers by the time I had to make that decision so yeah. I kind of got a bit of a sense of what they were doing which helped so I went through did the bachelor of design uh worked did some work experience worked at a few places and I guess long story short it just it wasn't for me. Right, right. That's so interesting because, like, I totally agree with the whole concept of, like, how are you meant to know what you want to do for the rest of your life back then when your career was the rest of your life? Mm. Like, these days, I don't know if you'd agree, but it is a bit different in terms of how much you can pivot and not be mm. judged and not be held back by that. Yeah. Um, but that's really interesting because that's – like, architecture sounds like a hard degree from what I've heard. Mm. It sounds like – pretty hard <laughs> I mean I think I think any any degree any career mm. path has its challenges there were definitely late late nights uh literally sleeping in the building at uni kind of yeah. thing going on um so yeah there were definitely aspects of it that were tough I looking back honestly don't think I would change anything because and I'm sure many people say this but it got to where I am now mm. but it was really hard and to a point people now have a bit more flexibility in deciding, like they don't have to make a straight decision, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm. They can pivot. And I think a lot of the times having different skill sets to bring to the table is such an advantage. Yeah. Um, there's, there's usually a saying, and maybe this is how it was originally thought, but your career was T-shaped. So you would have this general layer of, you know, knowledge or this mm-hmm. generalist skill set yeah, right. and then you would specialize being the T yeah. right that makes so much sense yeah, yeah but I feel as though it's moving a little bit more to an M well, oh. that's how I like to view it so I I think whether there's an expectation or at least it's beneficial yeah to have that generalist skill set or that general knowledge um, enough to be dangerous yeah. but then specialize in a few different areas so I feel where I am at the moment that's how I'm I guess trying to shape my career is a general skill set or you know knowledge base but then going into both UX and brand strategy 
Yeah, wicked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. And so visual as well. Like yeah. you can definitely tell the M, you know, <laughs> dipping in and out of things and then committing to the flow of the whole letter to be like, this is me. This yeah. is what I specialize in. Yeah. And I think you can definitely have a lot of verticals as a specialist or um, as a marketer. Mm. There's a lot of areas for you to be able to take an interest with and try while mm. you're doing one thing. You can always do something else. So yeah. when did you pivot away from architecture in terms of like experience, like actual mm. like work experience? So interesting. I took the next year off to work and decide if this is what I want to do. I took some time off to travel um, and then I came back to Perth and I thought, what can I try next? Mm-hmm. Um, something a lot of people don't know about me is I did a grad dip in education next. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell <so> me more. <laughs> uh, again, I was just at this stage where I didn't exactly know what path I wanted to take. And again, how do you know unless you try? Yeah. Um, and so I completed that. It was a year long. To be honest, halfway through, I probably knew it wasn't for me, but there was only another six months to go and I thought, might as well get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it came to my third and final shot or what I called my final shot. In my yeah. mind, I thought if I don't get this next step right, I need to fall back on something I've done because I don't want to become a professional student for the rest of my life. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I went on to do my postgrad in uh, commerce mm-hmm. and that's where everything just... All the pieces fell together. Right. Yeah. So at the time, uh, the university I went to, they were offering units specifically in UX. Um, And that, because when it came to architecture, I really did love the design aspect Mm -hmm. and I learned a lot of skills and programs, which I even use today. So I love that aspect of it. I didn't want to drop it, but it wasn't, I just didn't want to direct it into plans and drawings of buildings and getting to that uh, level of detail, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So um, we did some UX units, also coupled with brand strategy. Uh, and then at the same time, I was working at the Consumer Research Lab at right. Curtin. So got a lot of experience, I guess, amongst, you know, a few different areas to yeah. do with marketing. And all of that combined really does represent the role I have today because I do touch all three areas. Yeah, that's so holistic. Yeah. I feel like I didn't even know there were UX courses when I was at uni. I don't know if they were at the time that I went. Maybe not because it's actually quite a growing new field. So Yeah, it is now. Mm. And I think that's that's so uh, fantastic that you were able to specialise in that just by dipping your toe, like you said, for even for a full year. I mean, that's now it feels like a long time, but it's also in hindsight not mm. a long time. Um, and for you to gain experience and like those skills in mm. that short amount of time, that's awesome. Yeah. That's wicked. So that postgrad was two years, but the uh, grad dip in education, that was just one. Even then I'd say I still took something away from it. And yeah. that's the thing, you know, you will always gain something from your prior experiences. It's just how you choose to apply them to your future experiences. So yeah. in that situation, um, in my current role, I, you know, need to run workshops mm-hmm. or run interviews and you really need that human connection Mm. and you need to be able to conversate and not Mm. probe too much and like there's a lot of skill to that um and even doing the grad dip I think really helped with talking in front of people and the you know even the presentation side of things I know you're talking to kids but it's still a skill that you is transferable if you want to make it transferable Yeah. yeah that makes so much sense yeah like it is and that's a big thing I think when people start a career and even if you're like for business owners in particular as well mm-hmm. you're not only having to like speak to clients who about something that you know a lot about but then managing people mm-hmm. or like you said in your sort of role having to convey the language which might even be quite technical into layman's speak and oh, yeah. have it in that sort of like layman's terms I relatable think, <laughs> I think that's one of the greatest skills anyone can have and it, it's it's hard to develop yeah. I definitely wouldn't say I'm a master at it but to be a translator mm. to take really complex information from one specialist or one person distill it put it into really clear terms and yeah. then spit it back out to someone else who needs it yeah that that's definitely a skill yeah yeah and you got to know your stuff mm. like real well I think there's merit as well to exploring things while you're still learning and not being the expert in everything. So mm. it sounds like while we might know in the capacity that I like and my team works with you on, I feel like there is a lot of, you know, the, you're the expert in this. This is the person that we speak to for all of this, but we're all kind of constantly learning and mm. I feel like any exposure to um, new projects, new clients, new things like that, I think is 
like not a hindrance it's a help I guess oh, to absolutely your, and your you'll never career. stop learning yeah and it's all about what you just mentioned talking to people yeah know what they know yeah and know what questions to ask yeah I think that's also really beneficial yeah can yeah. we delve into that a bit more so like in terms of your experience with um UX mm. um and in your role at the moment and dealing with brands in particular mm. so if we kind of segue the conversation into like dealing with um or like projects and different mm. like as trends also morph in mm. the environment that we're currently in at the moment which seems to be at an exponential rate yeah. <laughs> everyone says things change quickly but then COVID happened and it kind of just went shoop, yeah. <laughs> like way quicker in my opinion um and that's at me like at the beginning of my career as well mm. I can't imagine how people feel at the end or like in the middle of their careers mm. so in your experience of how um maybe let's start with like how you're learning things now and how I know like the term people, oh, you got to stay on the pulse. you got to be on all the social channels and all that. And that's so, such an old mentality, I feel like now it is. Um, what are some things that you do to kind of educate yourself or remain on top of um, your expertise to, I know no one knows everything about everything, mm. but how do you get around feeling like you know that you're competent enough to kind of contribute to a conversation and add value? Mm. There's a, a few things I'd say. So one is definitely talking to as many people as you can uh, specialists in all areas which I'm very lucky to have access to people who are experts in media experts in tech experts um, even in finance and accounts and being able to almost pick their brain and understand what they know and vice versa and that level of collaboration across departments I think is really valuable and even within your own team. Yeah. Um, so even something we do every week, we have a strategy session mm-hmm. and we use that as a time to either get all the brains together, the brains trust and yeah. collaborate on, you know, is this uh, the way we're positioning this brand? Does it seem right? Sense check it. Uh, or we might use the session to bring up a really cool topic of in, just of general interest. And mm. I think that's a really great, great way to learn. Mm. Uh, another thing is podcasts. Mm-hmm. So one that I've started listening to or have listened to for a while now is The Diary of a CEO. And mm. yeah, so that's with Stephen Bartlett, um, who he was on Dragon's Den and yeah. he started um, social... I can't remember what it's yeah, called. When I'm so, oh, it'll we'll come to me. put it in the podcast notes. Yeah. Yes, it'll come <laughs> to me. Um, it, Some of them, you know, are more on the mental health kind of fitness area, but there's some really great ones there about marketing and building strong brands. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just finding the time to do so, right? It's like throughout your day, you are laser focused on your tasks at hand, getting projects done. So what I usually do is I use the time in the morning while I'm getting ready to put that on and listen to it and try to get through at least half of one a day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great strategy. Like something that I've taken away from all my learnings and even like something I pass on to people all the time is like just chip away at it, man. Like mm. it is so hard to do anything when you're trying to do it all in one go, especially if you're a perfectionist mm. and especially if you have some insecurity about like maybe retaining memory. Like it's really hard to remember stuff from even just a podcast listen. So mm. go back and like re-listen to it and don't kick yourself about yeah. it. Like it's, yeah. Absolutely. I think as well, even jumping at these kinds of opportunities mm. because to your point you can absorb information but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to retain it unless you use it yeah so being able to use it whether it's writing an article writing a post um you know joining you on a podcast yeah. those kinds of things allow you to air your thoughts yeah. and reiterate what you know or share information yeah. and it becomes so much stickier than just remaining passive to it yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's a really good method to kind of, and then that person's learning something and then they'll reiterate it. Like I'll go home and be like, guess who I spoke to today? This is what we talked about, blah, yeah. blah, blah. I learned all this. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So is there anything that you kind of have worked on in the past or you're working on at the moment that you're really excited to have learned and you're like, wow, this is fascinating. I mm-hmm. can't believe I get to do this. Um, uh, I guess generally speaking, not getting too specific, oh, yeah. I there's been such a variety of projects that I've been able to work on just being agency side and I think that's a massive benefit to having I guess you know and this is something that I think even when you're starting in marketing or graduates may Mm. not even know is the differences between client side and agency side but um, even 
the variety of projects has been so great to be across because it's ranged from um, actually being able to wireframe and play a role in developing websites, in developing apps, uh, which has been really fun. Like I've got a lot of passion for that. Um, And obviously that touches on the UX side of things. But then taking a step back and looking holistically at the whole ecosystem in just building really strong brands. And I think in the time that I've been in the marketing industry, I've definitely seen that happen. Mm -hmm. And when you take a brand that, you know, when you first started working on them, they were very tactical and they were very functional in their messages and, you know, there was, you know, potentially a lack of consistency to transforming that into a more uh, emotive brand, having, you know, a clear strategy ahead, everyone within the organisation knowing what they stand for. That transformation, I think, is the one that gives you most, I don't know, makes you feel the best because yeah. you, you're, you're really being involved in, in change. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I guess if we stay on the topic of like strong brand, which you've mentioned twice mm. now, I feel like it's not you've, it sounds like to me, you're saying it's not about controlling the narrative of the brand. It's about understanding the brand, um, having that knowledge that you've kind of built over those years, having access to the resources, the team, to then implement into like a strategy, for example, if it might be related to the, yeah. It's interesting you say that. I think that's kind of twofold. Mm. Um, I guess branding to me, it's not what the brand says about the brand. It's what the audience or the market says about the brand. Like that is what, that defines what your brand is known for. Just, you know, whatever you want to do, go out and say, this is who we are. Mm -hmm. It depends on what people are actually saying you are that defines your brand. But in terms of um, taking the brand's narrative already, I think there's something important in that because my view is that in in a very simple form, marketing is taking a brand truth and putting a very interesting or engaging angle on it. But I think the important thing there is a brand truth is, you know, that there's sometimes a bad stigma around marketing, maybe for those who aren't in the industry, thinking about marketing as spin, Mm. you know, some kind of stigma around it and bad marketing, sure, Mm. right? But if you do it right, it should be based in real facts that you are taking to a whole new level, being a more emotive space, but it is based in truth. And I think it's when you elevate it to what's the emotional benefit um, that your brand offers and you elevate it to that level and what's the benefit to your actual audience or your customer Mm -hmm. and framing it in a really interesting cool way obviously on brand tone and all of that Mm -hmm. that to me is really vital to whatever platform you're developing for a brand it 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 has to be based in truth yeah and that carries across like trends that change Mm -hmm. access to technology that we have and gain and lose I suppose Mm -hmm. um that's really that's interesting what what would you say has been a like the greatest challenge in moving with um, maybe not a particular brand, obviously, but like in terms of developing a strategy across something that a user is going to have to experience, what is a big challenge usually um, not necessarily for marketers, but for brand or brand owners themselves Mm. that they tend to face that they could reach out to agencies like the brand agency for, Mm. for example? I think it's someone can sit in front of me or in front of, brand or whoever it is and mm. and list off all these great things about their organization but it's choosing which to actually focus on i think that being single minded is one of the greatest things that you can do for your brand because you can't you can't be everything to everyone in doing so you basically become nothing to everyone so you you get in this space where it's um, you're sending out all these brand messages, you know, we do this, 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 nothing is going to be sticky. Mm. So I think when, you know, a brand comes to us, it's first understanding at their core, what are they about and summarising that. And it sounds easy. And a lot of the time, the place that we land, it looks almost too simple if it's a brand platform or a positioning line. But so much thought has gone into that. 
Um, someone on our team, uh, she mentions the word disciplined sacrifice. Ooh. So, yeah, so yeah. it's really having the ability to be choiceful in what you represent as a brand and and that has massive benefits if you're able to do that. And I think it comes down to what problem are you trying to solve for your customer or your consumer? Because again, you're not, you don't exist to solve every single problem in someone's life. Mm. Understand the role that your brand plays in their life. Yeah. Um, Mark Ritson, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but like big in the marketing world, mm. he says, think about it as needs not products. So think about it as jobs to be done. Yeah. So what are people trying to do in their lives and then how can you help them do it? Right. And that's that gives you the basis to basically say, well, this is the core benefit that we offer or this is what we represent as a brand. We exist yeah. to do X. Yeah. But the important thing is focusing in on that on that one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that I guess has ties to attention, which is I know something else you wanted to chat about. Yeah. Um, when you're able to distill your brand down to one or two things, and I guess this is talking more what you're putting out into the market, people are way more likely to remember you. So if again, and it, it, it makes sense, right? If I'm throwing out to you um, all these different messages about who I am, yeah. you're probably only going to remember one or two things. Yeah. Um, or if not, everything's just too overwhelming. I don't actually know what you stand for. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely hard to do. And I think if a brand can get to the point where they not, they can basically say to someone in one sentence what they're about, mm -hmm. that's that's a big achievement. Yeah, mm. that's so. I'm going to throw a little sideboard question at mm. you because it feels like that is almost the T strategy for businesses, even though for your personal, you know, career and goals and um, skills, mm. it's the M strategy you kind of hang on to. Is there a difference? And what would you say is the difference between your personal brand and like working on a brand? Because obviously the huge difference is that you're representing yourself, you're talking mm. about yourself, you're networking on behalf of yourself. Um, but being in the unique position that you're in where you get to speak to brands, you get to speak to maybe it's the brand owner, maybe they have, you know, a background in something completely unrelated to mm. marketing and branding. Um, potentially you're speaking to other marketing members um, of the team, maybe someone as obscure as an analyst. Um, and so that kind of that's the business sitting there with all the M's underneath their little roof. And mm. I'm hoping this is making sense. But in terms of if we take it back to your personal brand and how you got to where you are now and what we've just spoken about that makes, we've spoken all about what makes a brand, specialising in that one thing and having your audience and we'll segue kind of into how audience contributes to the development of a strong brand. Mm -hmm. How uh, how do you value the difference between someone perceiving you as an individual with your own personal brand um, versus a brand being perceived by m the masses? Because I think if I'm interpreting correctly, it sounds like you've obviously, you're saying like a brand has a very unique um, position or offer that they can, a solution that they can put forward to someone who might be having trouble doing X. Mm. Um, whereas a, as a personal, like you, as a, an individual, your brand is, I'm going to solve a solution within this business by helping other businesses. But if we strip it back to like the different, the value of having the M versus the T, the skill as a business, and more importantly, communicating that to other people. Yeah, so more as in what I've been saying, it's important to be single-minded, but do I apply those same principles to yeah. your own personal brand? Yeah, I that's think a very nice niche way of saying <laughs> that. <laughs> I, that's a very good question. And to be honest, probably one I haven't totally thought about. Yeah. And again, it's, it's really hard when you get to the personal level because – to say what is that one thing that you stand for yeah. is difficult. I still think it's important for people to try and define that themselves, but it doesn't mean that that's all you're about. It's just give yourself a platform, um, you know, whether in my case, maybe it is the duality between UX and brand strategy mm. and that is the thing. Um, and then you delve into a little bit further. Well, um, as part of that though, you know, market research also comes into it. Yep. But the way that you hook people in to start with, I think those same principles still apply. Apply, yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like if you're representing a brand as an individual, so we're not going to go into influencers or anything like that, but mm -hmm. if you have a brand that has your face on it, it is important to have that one thing that you're known for, but 
also to diversify. And I, I especially think like at different stages in your life, um, which could talk to different stages in a brand and a business, right? Like mm. how you develop and change, how big your oh, team yeah, gets. Absolutely. That sort of thing. Yeah, we always say like you never develop a brand strategy in a vacuum. Mm. Um, when I was saying before, it has to be based in, in a brand truth. That's 100% correct. But you also have to look at what's happening in the market around you. Uh, you know, does it make sense to the current environment and then does it make sense to your audience? So it's kind of like the three prongs or yeah. that's just one way that you can kind of get to your essence or what yeah. your brand is about. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's how people perceive you, right? Mm. So if people are wanting some um, advice or things that you've learned in the past about how their audience, how to speak to their audiences, um, and more importantly, I think you touched on before, how audiences can tell you what they're after, how they're perceiving you so that you can then grow and turn your brand into what you need mm. it to do to be able to solve that problem for that audience you're trying to help. Um, what is, I guess, we touched on in you know previous conversations is trust is a big one. Yes. You mentioned attention. Yes. Um, can we talk a bit to like your opinion on how that works in developing? I mean, you probably come across brands that are already established more than ones that are mm. not. Um, in your experience, how have you like approached that and changed it so that people kind of understand better how to how to speak to their audience and translated that from yeah. an audience to the brand to say you're actually this when you think you might be that? Like, so more if you if you believe that brand mm. needs to go through that transformation mm. and how that happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, so first things first is. Ideally, you and another term is you would be market oriented. So you would try, you would everything that you do should be from your customer's point of view. But first, you need to work out who are your customers. Like, what are you actually offering? Um, and like I said before, what problem are you trying to solve in their life, or what role does your brand play in their life? Um, in terms of like this being a methodology, the next thing that you would do is conducts a market research around the market in general, not at this point defining who your target audience is. Mm -hmm. And once you have that, you know, holistic understanding of your market, then you can start to define them based on behaviours, based on demographic information, um, based on psychographic information, so around their habits and preferences and that kind of thing. And you can take a step back and I guess this is typically what you would call like segmentation mm. and you would pick out or again, this is where being choiceful is really important, not only from an external brand perspective and what you're putting out to market, but also how you would get to a point where you've defined your brand strategy. Um, and, and that would be understanding who your target segments actually are. So for the rest of the year, who are the one to two segments that we really want to focus on and we want to do everything in our power to address their, their need or the, this problem in their life um, and look at all the touch points that we have along their journey with us and make them the best that we can. Um, so in saying that, once you've defined your, your segments, you then need to determine what, uh, I guess, positioning or, or targeting model, model you want to take. Mm -hmm. um, and one that I very much believe in is you need kind of a two-pronged approach. So you need to have that broad, and you, you'll probably be very familiar with this, but that broad awareness layer going out mass market, what do you want to represent as a brand? And then you've got your performance layer where it's, okay, now let's really delve into those target segments we've defined mm -hmm. and look at exactly how we can, you know, at every point in their journey with us, elevate their experience or try and get them to buy into our product or brand or service. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, I think that's a nice approach to take for anyone who's kind of not really clued in on how it works, whether they've got a brand and they don't know how to change the perception of it or to speak to their audience if mm. things have changed because things change a lot you know um since COVID like I mentioned like it's really challenging we've noticed for brands to kind of like be themselves I think sometimes but then mm. some brands really excel at it so it's really tapping into like what is the thing that they are doing really well are they just in the right time at the right you know place mm. um or is it 
they've got a secret source, something yeah. to do with that. Well, when you get to that point of, I guess I didn't fully explain the whole mm. process out, but yeah. again, like shortened version, mm-hmm. once you understand who your, you know, target market is, you know, you kind of need to go broad, not that may not be applicable to every brand. Uh, you need to go broad, you know, more so for bigger brands, like you said, who are more established, that is important. And then also understand who your target segments are. When you get to the point of, okay, positioning, what do we stand for? Uh, as I mentioned before, you can use that three-pronged approach. Mm. So one, wh- who is your audience? So give a little bit of you know information around who you're actually trying to reach. Two would be, what is the current market landscape right now? So to your point, what are the external factors happening that might prevent people from going to your brand or might be just generally uh you know issues or challenges in their lives and of course COVID Mm. and off the back of COVID cost of living is something mentioned very very often and it's it's causing people to change the way that they see value and where they're putting their money so that's a whole other thing um and then the third part of the triangle is yeah what is what are those brand truths so what are the proof points about your business Mm -hmm. that you can confidently speak to and it's when those three parts of the triangle come together that should be what you stand for as a brand and captured in a succinct line or positioning statement yeah to be able to then branch out and do something creative or yeah maybe even change the way your business is operating yeah so then from then on once you've defined that positioning statement or brand essence whatever you want to call it Everything you do from that point forward, you should always look back to that and say, are we living up to Mm. that brand promise or brand essence? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So hypothetically, if a brand has gone through this exercise of defining their segments, defining their brand, you Mm. know, you've done your mission statement, all the proof points, um, what makes you unique in, and we haven't touched on like you versus a competitor in terms of brand positioning, um, because you could be solving a problem that's super common, it's been around forever and you're, you have a new way of dealing with it, but um if we were to look at that how because I know a lot of brands and I speak to a lot of business owners who say like I don't think about my competitors I do what I do and I do it Mm. really well I know my audience really well um and I've got a great team behind me what um what is a fatal flaw that people have when it comes to approaching the market or their business solution or problem um if they are maybe too focused on competitors or focusing on the wrong thing have you ever seen like a standout fatal flaw in a business once they've defined themselves, they know what they're doing and they just don't execute it properly. Like what can businesses avoid mm. doing? I think it's always good to have your pulse on competitors. Not to say, and I think that was really important what you mentioned, you shouldn't be laser focused on what people are doing around you. It shouldn't define mm. the direction you want to go at for your own brand. Yeah. But you should at least have some awareness or some understanding of who those brands are, whether it's direct competitors or indirect competitors of the category or even brands that you aspire to be. So I think it can be used as a source of inspiration as well as just making sure that you're always one step ahead or not even one step ahead. You still have something that sets you apart Mm -hmm. from a different brand. Um, So I think that is really important. In terms of flaws, one, I guess one particular flaw, flaw might be not knowing even the category that you operate in. So some people might think um, their competitor set is very different to who it actually is. Right. I can't think of an example off the top of my mind. Yeah. But um, I think it's important to gain that knowledge mm-hmm. from who you intend your, cus- your customers will be yeah. or your audience would be. Um, I guess one one example is Walmart, right? Mm-hmm. I know it's American-based, but many, many years ago, Walmart got to this issue where they were known as a very cheap brand. Um, they saw that as a negative and they wanted to reposition. So they decided to sell really expensive wine at Walmart, which 
I can tell from your face, it doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. It doesn't align with who they are as a brand. Yeah. And it's almost as though they were trying to operate in this premium space instead of own what they were a- actually able to offer people. Right. So um, I think this was a case study, but basically someone swept in and put the brakes on and said, no, we shouldn't be going for this premium market. Mm. It doesn't make sense. That's not who our audience is. Instead, what we should do is take what we offer and elevate it. So what I was saying before, what's that emotional benefit? So for Walmart, it was the fact that, yes, they were able to offer very discounted products. But if you go a layer up, what's the benefit? The benefit is that you save money. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what's the layer above that? And you kind of keep doing that and you get to the point where if you save money because you shop at Walmart, you can then have more time or more money to spend elsewhere, i.e., uh, going out on you know family outings or going mm. to a restaurant and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and um, I think their positioning line was something around uh, save money live better or yeah. something like that so it that's a good example where their major flaw was that they were trying to reposition themselves in a, a market that it, yeah. it made no sense to their offering uh, and the the benefit that they they were bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's such a simple one as mm. well. Like I feel like Aldi does that well in that, you know, we don't offer premium wines, mm. but get your $4 wine that tastes yeah. just like the good stuff. But they're here. owning it. Yeah. yeah. And it's their, it's, that's their and spot. That they've excelled. And I think a lot of people, the good different mm. platform, uh, yeah. again, two words, very easy to understand, um, c- represents them yep. as a brand, so massive tick. And I know that they were also on the list of the, I think it was the nine or 10 most trusted brands yes. in Australia. Yeah. So I think again, you know, whether this is one reason for it or yeah. not, the fact that they've been very um, defiant as this is what we stand for and they've been very consistent with that, yeah. I think is attributed to the trust yeah. that they have. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about consistency. I feel mm. like in a market that changes a lot, um, and brands that are looking to be inventive and innov- innovative, um, often, especially for small businesses, I feel like you've got someone who has started this business because they've noticed a problem and they've found a solution for it and they have that drive to put it into action and they then, you know, usually typically have the appetite to change it, move with it and do as much as they can, mm. kind of squeeze the life out of it Um what is I know that consistency we've iterated it so many times on this podcast like how important it is to just start something and then to stick with it and like yes change pivot etc um have you got any good sort of takeaways or learnings that you've had where consistency is maintained but you can change and try new things Mm. in terms of like yeah I mean yeah on the top of your head it's not to say that being consistent means you are Forever fixed. The same forever. Yeah. 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 Forever known as just this one thing Mm. and you can never, ever, ever pivot. Mm. Definitely not the case. Um, But I think it's just how you take a look back and, again, thinking about that triangle, your brand truths probably wouldn't change too much. Your audience probably would and your market would. So uh, I guess a well-known example is Nike or Mm. Nike. (laughs) <laughs> How do the we big pronounce debate. that? I know. Um, they've always been known for something bigger. Yeah. Whether I, I don't know exactly what their vision is or their positioning line, but I can probably say, you know, it's around um, determination, perseverance, mm-hmm. going for something even if it's hard. Yeah. Like that, I guess, probably not word for word, mm. but is more or less what they represent. So you can probably look back at really great ads that they put out or the way they marketed themselves. It still had that essence to it. Yeah. But they not pivoted. They, they've they always put a fresh lens on what their brand platform meant to the issues we're facing today. And that's very applicable to their brand, not saying every brand should mm. play in that space. But one of um, my favourite ads by them is the Dream Crazier. Mm. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's where basically women are saying, you know, if you uh, if you kind of win or um, you, you 
challenge the status quo, you're questioned. Uh, if you have something to say, you're called defiant. And yeah. and the end line is something like what it, whatever it is, just keep dreaming crazier because it, it's possible. So yeah. I think that was probably around it all got released at a very um, – relevant time okay so they considered what was happening in the market around them to then put out a message like that which was relevant to their brand it was still true in terms of what they represented and what they offered as a brand so it made sense so I think you can absolutely um keep fresh it's just what are your consistent brand truths and then how do you apply them to how the market has changed yeah 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 I love that and I think Nike comes up a lot in this podcast because it's just do it just start it just Mm. start something um and the fact that they can take so many branches off of that like base level like proof of existing that's the reason they're there is to help you just do it Mm. like just chuck those shoes on go for Mm -hmm. a run just open up the app and start an exercise whatever it is um dream crazier i love that i Mm. haven't seen that i'll definitely go suss it out after this but it's one of those ads that and they're very good at this you get that kind of emotional response from it and that's another thing um which you probably haven't touched on oh, a little bit you know yeah. getting to the emotional benefit but it that's another thing which uh, as as any brand if you can have an emotive pull mm. with your audience it's so much more uh powerful than to shove tangible proof points down their throat yeah um, and that comes back to the, the I guess, the system one and the system two in terms of how your brain processes information. So system one is the right side of your brain and that's your emotional side. And then system two is the rational side of your brain. Right. So system one, it can actually process, I think it's like 40 billion um, bits of information per second, which is in crazy, yeah, right? That's like a computer. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas system two, it's only 40 billion bits of information per second so system one is where you want to be as a brand you want to tap into what you represent in terms of emotion or emotional you know um, evoke an emotional response Mm -hmm. amongst your audience to be remembered so that's a, a massive I guess, take out as well. Yeah, and we could definitely go down the little rabbit hole of psychiatry and psychology yes. <laughs> of all this. I, like, I'm reading a book at the moment that's all around psychology and psychiatry of um, the dissociative identity disorder. Oh, okay. Uh, it's super interesting. We'll chat more about it afterwards. Yeah. But <laughs> it's it's kind of – it lends to the whole psychology of um, reckoning, like recognising and reckoning with a brand yeah. and having that, like, uh, identifying as – someone who would purchase that thing from that person or Mm. use that service sorry not that person that brand use the service from that brand because it is it's like we are Woolworths or Coles people Mm. you know what I mean yes you're one or the other (laughs) yeah (laughs) unless you're an Aldi or an IGA yeah Yeah, but Um, it's like what uh, I guess that one's an interesting one because it's uh, like an essential kind of service but a hundred percent yeah when you're talking the Nikes, when you're talking, um, you know, fashion brands, yeah. uh, food brands even, you might choose them because of what they represent. Yeah. So in the example, you know, both Nando's lovers, I yeah. could probably say a small part of me loves going there because it reminds me of my heritage. Yeah. Again, it has a bit of that personal connection. Totally. Yeah, and uh, that resonates. Yeah. And I, I guess that's that's an interesting point as well because if, if you're a brand that, wants to try gain more attention there's um I was reading an article a few days ago there's five different kind of things that you can keep in mind so one is personal relevance so what does your brand mean to a particular individual and this might be the the outtake they get so in that example I just gave you Nando's has a little bit of a place in my heart because Mm. of my heritage. So it has that personal relevance and perhaps that's why if I was scrolling through Uber Eats, something in my brain would go off when I saw their logo. The second is uh, emotional response, so what we just spoke about. The third is something new. I think it's um, uh, something about the attraction Mm. of new. So if you – and I I guess a lot of people can – think about an experience where a new product has been released um, and I guess it taps into the novelty aspect. If there is something new a brand is offering or uh, even positions it as something new, then you pay more attention to it. Yeah. Um, another one is a break in monotony, mm. which is interesting because I thought about this and I guess if you put it 
in the advertising space, there's a lot of white noise, right? We go yeah. about our day, people don't think about ads as much as we probably think they do. Yeah. How are you going to break through that white noise yeah. or that monotony? And, you know, one thing might be, uh, for example, you're watching TV, uh, you're, you know, fl- all these ads, you're kind of just like, let me yeah. get back to my actual show. And there might be a period of silence and then a big bang. Yeah. Like, so say that was the actual ad. Mm. That would break that monotony. So yeah. that's a good example. And yeah. then the last one was contrast, which I think was more from a visual point of view. If something right. has a lot of contrast, then you're more likely to pay attention to it. Yeah. And that break from monotony is an in- interesting one because mm. you can have a lot of negative response from that sort of thing as mm. well like if people just try and like we spoke to the girl who did um savannah who did the billboard who mm. broke you know the monotony of where do you advertise your only fans yes. account like ah, you don't um you just do it online yeah. or you just, you know the way they network is very different so for her to break the monotony by having a billboard which we have billions of everywhere these mm. days but by simply having one that was and I won't even say one where your clothes are not fully on because we have underwear commercials mm. everywhere and no one blinks twice at them. Uh, the fact that it was related to OnlyFans, which everyone knows and has a personal relationship with, whether it's positive mm. or negative, to something like pornography or yeah. <laughs> adult working, you know, yeah. whether you have an opinion about it. Um, so she did that really well, yeah. you know, and she knew it would, like, yeah. she's, you know, whether she's a marketer or not. Um, that she sort knew of what, what to do to stand out, yeah. to break through the white noise. Exactly. Yeah. And you get a positive and a negative response from that. And it depends what you're trying to gain. You know, in her case, it's, you know, additional money, um, more supporters on mm. that platform. Um, what sort of impact do you think, like, the people trying to be so different that they get it wrong and they receive so much negative, you know... Mm. Um, like the backlash. Backlash, yeah, yeah. yeah. In terms of how much of a risk, I guess, your brand yeah, take? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, that's a good question. I think, and again, this was this was mentioned by um, the founder of Dermalogica, oh, Jane yeah. Werwind. Yeah. A really great excerpt that she has. Uh, and it, it was the way she built her brand was, I didn't want to go out pl- trying to please 100% of the market. That wasn't their intention. Mm-hmm. Her little soundbite is something around, I went out trying to piss off 80% to nice. please the 20%. <laughs> and that's not right for everyone. I'm not saying that's right. But um, she had this really strong stance about standing for something, yeah. like we were saying before, or you will stand for nothing. Yeah. You'll become really mundane and, you know, that kind of thing. If whatever you're going out with in the market to try and gauge that attention or capture that attention I think you just have to consider is this right for your brand are you just doing this as a cheap kind of marketing ploy or does this actually make sense for your brand and what you represent because there are ways that you can stand out um, but not be I guess invasive in someone's Mm. life or not be um, not sending out the wrong message and Mm. it just comes back to what do you represent yeah so I think she uh, used an example where they had a billboard and it was a girl holding up a sign and it just said, we're not pretty uh, because her brand wasn't really about the, uh, I guess, you know, superficial side of the beauty industry. It was more about skincare and that kind of side. Mm. So that in itself was a bold message, yeah. but it it didn't tip the scales. Like it, it still represented her brand. Yeah. But it was enough of a bold message to stand out. Yeah, like mm. she, if she'd maybe used language like "we're all ugly" somewhere inside, that might have tipped it too far. Mm. Like, oh, pull yeah. back, pull back, let's start again. Yeah, because um, that wouldn't resonate with your loyal fans who are like, "Okay, you're calling me ugly now." Like, that's not a vibe. Let's pull back from that. Yeah, like a good example, a very divisive one is Brewdog. So they oh, yes. <laughs> they've done some very interesting things to stand out. Uh, And again, if their main objective is to ruffle feathers and to kind of be the rebels in the market and that is who they represent as a brand and they're happy to get that backlash, uh, then fine. Yeah. I think one one of the stunts they did, it was around taxidermy, taxidermy animals. (laughs) And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think they actually were serving beers in 
taxidermied animals or at least they had an ad about it and they received massive backlash from that I think there was an animal activist group that said they would never support them and you know that could mean loss of potential future partnerships and that kind of thing but that was a choice that they made Mm. whether it was right or wrong it got them some PR media attention you know that was a choice. Yeah. Um, another example was, this one's probably more of a slightly diluted one, yeah. which I thought was quite funny. Um, they had released uh, a product, Elvis Juice. Okay. And they were told by Elvis's estate oh, no. that they can't use the name Elvis, otherwise they have to actually pay every time someone purchases a product or they use that name. Yeah. And so what one of the founders did is he changed his name to Elvis and then wrote a letter back to the brand. I think it was an open letter saying, well, you can't use my name in your songs. <gasps> so <laughs> is that cheek, right? And it, it, if it makes sense yeah. for their brand, if they're willing to risk it in that way, then... Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's but just like <laughs> stick it to the man sort of yeah. attitude. That's so interesting because some brands, like you have polar... I mean, that's why everything's a spectrum, right? You've got people on the polar ends of each of those spectrums. Um, That's so interesting. I love that topic. I find that's like, yeah. Well, another (laughs) another good one, um, Ryan Reynolds, killing it right now. He's not an advertiser. um, But he's been known to do something called fast advertising, which I think is quite interesting. um, And it's a pretty smart approach. So I think he bought out a media agency and he basically said, I'm – what I'm going to do is if your brand wants to come on with me, I'm going to take whatever is in the media and almost latch onto that and then create a space for your brand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the whole Peloton mm-hmm. controversy yep. around that ad. Within, I think it was 48 hours, he was able to get a crew together, a uh, creative team, yep. get the script sorted, uh, produce it. And he had basically a rebuttal ad or an ad that uh, – involved or latched onto that whole peloton kind of scandal with his own product aviation gin so what he's basically doing is he's taking a tent not a awareness i guess if you want to call it that's already been established he's pairing that with executing something very quickly to help push brands out in terms of get their name out yeah 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 so i thought that was yeah it's very smart he's very intelligent for and i can imagine he's got like the room um, or the ability to say, I've got a wild idea. And the hours. resources to do so, which not very unique situation. Yeah. yeah. If my boss turned around and said, we need to turn around this 48 <laughs> hour campaign, I'd be like, dream on, buddy. <laughs> What's in it for me? <laughs> no, I wouldn't if she's listening. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a different space. And it's so, it's so funny because like you almost have brand envy for those brands that can mm. do that. Um and it's not to say you'll never get there, but sometimes it's just not your industry and you need yeah, to understand Yeah, well, it's not right your for your brand. Or your brand, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Um, I can't believe we've been speaking for nearly an hour. Uh, oh, that, that feels insane. Quickly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you had any takeaways that you think, um, whether it's a listener who wants to start their own business, mm. has their own business, or I'm thinking more like uh, someone who's focusing on their branding no matter what size mm. they sort of are, what would be the key things that you would advise them to um, either watch outs mm-hmm. or start with or um, just consider in terms of like something that you've taken away recently mm. from anything you've learned, podcast or strategies that mm. you've worked on, like whatever it is? Um, I would say the key takeouts, and I'm probably going to reiterate what we spoke mm. about, but I think that's really important yeah. because they are really valid points. The first is... And I guess framing it in a, in a slightly different way, it really does pay to be human. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds funny, but uh, this is speaking, I guess, a little bit to the UX side of things as well as the brand side of things. But when you are able to develop more of an emotional experience, that results in really great business outcomes. Yeah. So, um, like, for example, there was a Forrester study done in 2016 and it actually proved, again, more UX-related. Mm-hmm. But for every $1 invested in UX resulted in a, a $100 return on investment. Damn, that's good. I know. <laughs> but within that, it's what kind of experience are you creating? And this mm-hmm. is why I say it talks to both brand and UX, like yeah. any digital experiences you're trying to create is how can you tap into any of those kind of emotional levers? So even if it's um, 
how to personalise the experience a little bit more or the language that you might use on your website or other marketing collateral to make it more human, make it, you know, give your brand a personality and define that personality and your tone and, and what is it. Um, so that's probably number one. Number two would be be single-minded. So that's not to say you always have to be known for just this one stagnant thing. Mm. Um, you should be known for one or probably one thing as your brand essence, mm. but that what it means, you can apply different meaning to it based on the market at the time or how your audience is changing. Um, and then the third one would probably be don't go out to try and please everyone. So that whole thing about, again, don't go and piss off 80% of people <laughs> to please 20%. Uh, I probably, there's probably a better way to say that. But no, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, the whole 80-20 rule, right? Like know who your market is, know the role that you play in their life. What problem are you trying to solve? Yeah. And how can you position your brand in every touch point in order to address that? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. I could not have summarised that better myself. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a nugget of wisdom no with us or three very important nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. I feel like that's something that people can take away, even like we we're talking about personal brands. You know, if you're starting out in your career, graduated or whatever it is, you can take that away and apply it to your own, you know, just be human, be true to yourself, like stick to the truth mm. and apply it um, consistently across everything you do. I liked um, my takeaway from what you talked about earlier in the piece was um, try before you invest in like niching yourself into something you don't mm. want to do and that goes for brands as well like if you had this grand idea that you wanted to specialize in something or offer your audience as one thing and um, there's opportunity to pivot and move around or explore mm. a different area don't just pigeonhole yourself into one spot um, I think yeah it goes goes um, without saying that's easier for smaller brands mm. so bigger brands I think they not only are more established but they've probably got a bit more resources to test without sacrificing yes. what they stand for um but I got a lot out of that I can't wait to listen back to it and edit that and put it out I'm so so well, grateful you. that you came thank down you so much I'm very grateful for the opportunity so yeah, yeah no doubt we will chat soon thank you very much thank you thanks Aaron <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Perth Business Podcast. If there's anyone that you specifically want to hear from or you think would be great on the podcast, send us a DM on LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. Or you can email us at theperthbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here next time.